Welcome. Thanks for being here. My name is Luke. I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Mercy Road. And it's a privilege to have you here this morning. My, my hope and my prayers that if you are a guest, maybe you came in this morning and you're visiting. Uh, maybe you're uh, an extended family member or friend to participate in uh, that child dedication. Maybe you know one of those families or you're a godparent of, of one of those kiddos. And I just want to welcome you here. And I, I, you've made it this far. And so I just want to encourage you to open your heart and your mind to the living God. Uh, and his name is Jesus. And my hope and prayer is that you have a fresh touch from the living Messiah this morning. And um, if, that is, if that is even in the sphere of interest in, in, your, in your heart or your mind, I just want to encourage you to open yourself maybe a brand new way this morning uh, to allow the living, breathing God to give you something. And so having that posture of receiving, that open heart, that open mind is, is just so, so important. And there's nothing like a child dedication to, to get your heart in the right place. And tonight... Tonight, before I get into the text, tonight we're going to do something we've never done before. We are going to have a worship night in the round, except this time we're going to be recording five original songs. So tonight, if you weren't here last year, this will give you a little taste of what to expect. Last year we had a worship night in the center of the space, and this way we could all kind of see each other and feed off each other's synergy, and, and the Holy Spirit was so present last year, and then we had additional vision like, hey, we need to start recording, we need to start uh, writing our own songs. So a team of creatives came together, we're calling Outpour, and that band has written five original songs. Can we say thanks to God for the creativity that exists in that group of creatives and tonight we're going to be recording those five songs and many of these songs you have heard you've been singing them this whole time and maybe you didn't even know it and so tonight well, you will be not only recorded your audio will be recorded if you choose to participate but we're also going to have uh, each song uh, be filmed and turned into a music video as well and so just know that if you choose to participate your pretty face might be on camera and that beautiful voice of yours well not my beautiful voice because I can't sing but your beautiful voice will be on audio. And so I just want to invite all of you tonight at seven o'clock, tonight at seven o'clock, we're going to gather at six to pray. If you feel led to come early and, and pray over the evening and pray for the Holy Spirit to get his way tonight, we're praying for massive breakthrough. The baptistry will be full. It'll be in the side of the room. Uh, baptisms will be available and open the whole evening. And so my prayer is that uh, you and your family and your friends can come out. Uh, there is no child care because we want your children in the space singing or crying or whining or whatever they do to the Lord. They're going to make a joyful noise. Trust me, it'll be noisy. Uh, and so that's our invitation to you tonight. I hope you can make it. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we jump into the text? Loving, living God, we're grateful for the community of believers. We're grateful that we can come together this morning and share in each other's company, encouraging each other. I know how much I needed to be encouraged this morning with the church family. What a joy it is to depend on you and your spirit and your church. And so this morning, as we dive into another week of this teaching series called Kingdom Culture in the book of 1 Corinthians, God, would you just illuminate the meaning of the text in a fresh way that we might see your son Jesus even more clearly? And I pray for the skeptic in the room, the one who is inquiring, the one who is unbelieving, God, would you break through whatever barriers they have erected to keep you out? In the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, we know your spirit can break through those barriers. I pray that the church would never be the barrier in the way for the inquirer or the believer, but instead one of the reasons you are seen, felt, and heard more clearly. 
So God, I don't know what burdens your church is bringing into this space this morning, but I think of Psalm 55, 22, that we can cast our burdens on you and that you will not allow the righteous to be moved. And so may we have the courage to cast our burdens, whatever that burden is, whatever that named ID burden is this morning, may we have the courage to cast it on you, Jesus. Because you've got the power to withstand that burden, and often we do not. So Lord, I pray as we unpack the meaning and discuss the meaning of building a culture of worship that we might see, feel, and hear you, Jesus, more clearly than ever. God, we love you and your people together with passion say, amen. First Corinthians 14 is the passage under study this morning. So if you've got your Bible, would you please open it to first Corinthians chapter 14? And if you're visiting for the first time this morning, like I said, maybe a guest or you're just jumping in from the fall, you're like, you're back from your summer travels, your kids sports have slowed down some finally, and you're here. Let me just catch you up real quick. We're examining and we're studying the the meaning and, and the message of 1 Corinthians. The church that was planted in Corinth by Paul was floundering and it was wavering under the pressures of the outside world. They were having a really difficult time remaining faithful and committed to the calling of being a beacon of hope and light to the city of Corinth, a city that is like uh, in Greece, what New York City is to the USA. I've used that many times, but I really want to emphasize just how corrupt Corinth was. And the church that was planted there by Paul that he stayed with for a year and a half needed so much extra attention, needed so much extra love, needed so much extra exhortation. They needed help to stay committed to the cause of, of Jesus, to the call of the gospel being brought forth by that local church into that city. And when that church finally got their encouragement from Paul in this written letter and finally got their exhortation from Paul in this written letter, he addresses a number of themes all throughout the book, many of which reveal just how corrupt their culture was. It wasn't kingdom's culture. It was very much a self-oriented culture. For those of you who are just jumping into this series, I, I've said this in the past couple of weeks, this was a church that was regularly suing each other. There was people sleeping with their stepmothers and nobody cared. There was all kinds of ethical and moral corruption happening in the church. They were getting drunk at communion. They were overemphasizing superior spiritual gifts over one another. And it was just a lot of infighting and they were losing their witness to the outside world. God wants his local church, is longing for his local church to preserve their witness because Jesus will be most clearly seen and felt and understood via the local church. Last, last message series, we talked about how the gates of hell cannot withstand the forceful expansion of the church. There is nothing else that will kick down the gates of hell. It will be the church, period. Because the church will be the institution that embodies and models and practice the ways of Jesus and lifts that name above their city. Now that you've got some context for the situation that this church plant was in in Corinth, a lot more of this will make sense as Paul's writing to exhort them and challenge them and call on them for a new way of living, a fresh way of life. And so as we jump into 1 Corinthians 14, 
Paul specifically addresses when they gather. Now, as a church, we gather on Sundays in a corporate fashion, and we gather when we scatter in micro fashion. We've got things called missional communities. We've got things called discipleship communities, also known as outposts and huddles. We've used those terms. And these are smaller communities, but we're still gathered even when we scatter. And so the gathering size, I don't think is actually as important as when gathering takes place at all. Whether it's in a larger scale like this, or in a small, smaller scale, perhaps in your home, or during the week at someone's home, or even perhaps here. So as we unpack some of the meaning and message in 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to understand, again, meditate please on the context for which this was written. And what we'll do is we'll make some comments, and hopefully we can get an idea of what Paul was, was saying to this church. Because I... I don't think that Paul would write this letter to Mercy Road Church Northwest in 2023, but, but some of the very th same things that this church in Corinth were wrestling with, struggling with, and wavering in happened before they knew it, and it happened after it was too late. So much of these words I'm going to share with you this morning is a measure of grace and a measure of preservation. May salt be poured into your mind this morning, preserving the local church and the mission that we embody for the city of Indianapolis. Is anybody ready for God's word this morning? Yeah. Open your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's start in verse one here. Paul says this, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Okay, a little bit more context of what he's talking about. Apparently, in this church plant, the gift of tongues was so prized and was so sought after, it became the gift that had the reputation of superiority. And so Paul is trying to correct a misunderstanding of this particular gift. Now, let me just say right now, our church, we are not cessationists. That's a big fancy word for we don't believe the gifts seized after Jesus went back to the throne. We believe the gifts are for today. I'm 100% convinced of this because I hear y'all pray and sing in tongues. I hear it in the prayer room. I hear it during worship. And it's a beautiful, edifying ministry from God to you and you to God. We are not cessationists. And nowhere in scripture do we see tongues being used as the primary platform evangelistic tool to reach the lost. It's very important to make the distinction between prophetic ministry and a tongue ministry. Now, Luke, what are you saying? What do you mean, what do you mean tongue? 
at Pentecost, when the fire of heaven descended, the spirit of heaven descended on the people of God, they began to speak in other languages, known languages, not some heavenly unknown language, but other languages known in and around the area. They were able to then relate the gospel to those people groups that had that similar tongue. Today, we use tongues in a similar fashion. We want people to experience God in the way they experience God the most. I would never discourage anyone in this room from practicing their gift of tongue. If you possess the gift of tongue, you pray in tongue as much as you want. You sing in tongue as much as you want. Paul is not condemning tongues. He's saying tongues were being used and abused in this local church plan as the superior gift that was varsity and everything else was JV. And Paul was calling that bad misunderstanding out. He was saying, no, 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 no. Tongues is not varsity and everything else is junior varsity. I hope that all of you speak in tongues. But the thing that's going to edify the church, and edify is a fancy word for to build up. The thing that's going to build up the church is something intelligible. A prophetic word, a prophetic message. So this church was misusing the very gifts that God had entrusted them to steward well. So what is the principle for a church in 2023 today? I think that the Paul is really revealing this simple idea is that edification is superior to entertainment. And what I mean is that I don't think that this church, I don't think that the church in the West has a reputation of abusing the gift of tongue as much as it did in Corinth. But the church of today has a bad reputation of misusing the assets, the people, the resources God has entrusted to them in hopes that gimmicky entertainment is enough to bring someone far from God to the face of Jesus. Repent from entertaining church. It's wrong. It's completely and utterly wrong. We are not in the entertainment business. Can I get a witness for someone this morning? We are not here for the entertainment. If we're going to entertain someone, let's entertain angels. Let's give heaven some entertainment because we're not here to entertain each other or the lost. There is no entertainment factor for the local church. And local churches get this reputation for taking the assets, the resources, the leadership that's been entrusted to us and misusing those things, hoping that gimmicks and entertainment will somehow draw the lost. And Paul's like, ain't nothing going to draw the lost except for Jesus. Jesus is the most attractive part of the church. Jesus is the most attractive part of the kingdom of God. And I am happy as, as one of the pastors on staff here to be the first person to repent of the draw. You, you get there before you know it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, why, why is my brain thinking of gimmicky things in hopes that will increase numbers? And God's like, repent. Turn your back on such a notion. How silly. Jesus is the attractive part of church. Jesus is what draws the lost. It's about Jesus. Jesus has a gravitational pull that is strong. And if you've met Jesus, you know the gravity of Jesus. What's Paul saying? He's saying that edification is superior to entertainment. We can so 
quickly and easily misuse, just like the Corinthians in this church plant misused and abused the gift of tongues. We, ha- we can also accidentally, without knowing it, taking our eyes off Jesus, begin to misuse the very things he's entrusted to us just for gimmicky purposes and entertainment pur- purposes. Not, not in this church, no. By God's grace, we will be a church and the church in Indianapolis will be a church that uh, champions edification, the building up, making Jesus the central, uh, beautiful face in, in the congregation. If you want entertainment, first of all, you're at the wrong church, but if you want entertainment, all you got to do is come on a Sunday where only Nick and Maddie are leading worship and come to their rehearsal. It is hilarious. They're bantering back and forth and who's right and who's wrong. I mean, it should be a YouTube channel. If you want a laugh, if you want to get entertained, come to rehearsal on a Sunday where it's just Nick and Maddie. You will laugh, laugh, and laugh. You guys got the first idea that Paul is revealing here. Edification is superior to entertainment, okay? He's not condemning tongues. He is simply saying he misused. And he hopes that the church would use only edification, okay? Let's jump back into the passage here. So we're now in verse six. He says this, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Kind of uh, reaffirming and reemphasizing that the the ministry of tongue is often used between the person and and God, this edification ministry between the the person speaking the tongues and, and God himself and God back to that person. In verse 7, he says, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Uh, He just kind of uses a metaphor there. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Another metaphor. Verse 9, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you were saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit. And my hope and prayer is that all y'all are eager for the gifts of the Spirit. Try to excel in those that build up the church. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, again, we have this, This revelation from Paul here giving us this really simple point that clarity is superior to chaos. And that clarity is the key for for someone to hear the message of the gospel and comprehend it logically. This, this remind, that, that idea reminded me, many years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Ukraine and um, we participated in a missions trip there. We took students there. And when we got there on a Monday uh, for this, this camp with teenagers, we got there on a Monday, and I remember the pastor of the local church there in Ukraine, he came up to me and said, hey, we would love for you to uh, preach at the message on, on Sunday. I'm like, but I don't, I don't speak. I mean, I can say babushka, which is grandmother in, in, in that language. That's it. I, don't, I can't speak your language. Like, how do you, what do you want me to what do? You want me to do? So he's like, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay. You just, you just follow the spirit. So So here I am spending this entire week carrying this burden of having to communicate some word 
of, of any encouragement or meaning to the church in Ukraine. This is, this is like 11 years ago now. And I, the whole week I was thinking and praying and preparing. And I, I get up there on a Sunday, on Sunday morning, there's this church full of people that don't speak English and I don't speak their language. And I'm just feeling like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then an interpreter comes up on the platform. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I'm going to have to, you know, I'll preach a couple of lines or whatever. And then the interpreter will, will then say something. It was the most unusual thing because like I'd spent a week being like, Holy Spirit, you know, what can I say to the church in Ukraine that's going to have any meaning or any level of encouragement? And so I'd say something and I'm like expecting this like, yeah, amen. And then like the interpreter would say the thing and I have to wait. (laughs) And then they'd be like, yeah, amen. And they'd say it in their language. And it reminded me that the lost, the looking, the inquirer, the unbeliever, they don't understand Christianese. They don't understand the Christian language. Just like I didn't understand the language in Ukraine, they didn't understand this, this kid from, from America speaking English, they had to have an interpreter. We often use a language that only you or your closest Christian brothers and sisters understand. And there's nothing wrong with using the language of God to edify your brother and sister in the Lord. But that was not Paul's point here. His point here is you're losing your witness to the outside world because you're using an inside language. Come on. Is there anyone in here that's really good at Christianese? Me. I'm good at Christianese. Confess it right now. You're good at Christianese. Now you need to repent of Christianese. It's a horrible language for the outside world. An inquirer, an unbeliever, Someone who's lost, they don't know what you're saying. So why are you using a language that only your brother or sister in the Lord would understand? And Paul's like, stop using chaotic language. Stop using language. Stop using means of edification to edify yourself, not the church, because the church is where people are going to see Jesus the most clearly. We are so good at creating our own bubble. And we're wondering why the outside world can't pop that bubble. It's because we've made it so thick with Christianese language. And they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is the power of storytelling. This is the power of sharing your story and sharing how you met Jesus. You know, an inquirer, an unbeliever, a skeptic, they can disagree logically with theology, biblical material all day long. But you know what you can't disagree with is that when I was 17, Jesus encountered me in those woods at that camp. And I fell to my knees on that, that hard, cold, hard ground. And I met Jesus face to face and it changed my life forever. And if you'd known me when I was 17, you're like, that dude needs Jesus. And I'm telling you, you can't argue with a story of life change. If you want to use a language for the outside world to understand who Jesus is, tell them your story of transformation. Tell them the story of the time you encountered Jesus and he changed your life from the inside out. That is how you can give up Christianese and use a language the outside world, the inquirers, the unbelievers will comprehend. Because guess what? They got a story too. And they are looking for Jesus and they don't even know it. The church needs to repent of entertainment. The church needs to repent of Christianese. I'm happy to go first. 
God, by your grace, may we never be a church that entertains, but only entertains angels. And God, by your grace, may we only be a church that uses clear language, repenting from Christianese, thinking that that somehow will break through to the lost. Yes. In verse 13, he says this, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind isn't fruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So right there, before we jump back into verse 16, I want to make a comment about this. Paul is revealing this like dual thing that, that worshipfulness, that, that worship, that a church that worships Jesus is not a church that is only engaged in a spiritual worship where your emotions are engaged, where your body's engaged, where your spirit is intertwined with God's spirit. He is also saying that your mind is engaged, that the lyrics, the, the theologically rich and true lyrics somehow comprehend in your mind and you understand what you're praying. You understand what you're singing. So think of two, uh, think of a train track, two rails of the same train track. We pray and worship in spirit. We pray and worship in understanding. There's an experiential part and there's a logical part. And Paul is encouraging us to engage in both Otherwise, look at verse 16. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer, we've talked about that, say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? Verse 17. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, which is so humble of Paul. to remind the Christians in Corinth is like, I speak in tongue better than all y'all. I'm, I'm varsity, you're JV. You probably didn't say that. <laughs> Verse 17, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, man, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Man, does that convict my spirit. Wow. We see this new theme revealed here that quality is superior to quantity. That a quality of words is superior to a quantity of words. I learned this lesson the hard way. Funny story. When I pray at dinner, I pray at dinner. When my kids are starving and my wife's like, good grief. And she finally got to the point where kicking my ankle wouldn't work. So she took a thing of corn in her hand and she chucked it at my face while I was praying because I simply thought, well, if I string enough words together and enough sentences together long enough and I talk and I talk and I talk and I talk and I talk, then God somehow must be pleased by my never ending prayer. How often do we do the same thing over and over and over again? Use big, big words that are probably too big for us to say anyhow, just to try to impress God or impress others when all that is really needed is five intelligible words. Man, isn't that wild? That God is not concerned about how many words you can sing, how many words you can pray. He's not concerned about that. He's not concerned about how great you sound. Some of you don't sound very good because you can't sing. I can't 
sing, but he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care if you, if you say all of the right words in a prayer and all of a sudden you sound like the most spiritually mature person because of the content of your prayers that go on and on and on. And okay, they go on and on and on, but that's not why God is listening to them. Paul is revealing to the church in Corinth, you're doing some of the right things, you're doing them for the wrong reasons. You're praying on and on and on and on and on. And I'm telling you, that's another measure of gimmickry to the lost that they will not pay attention to. When is the last time a very, very, very wordy long prayer kept the attention of someone who did not believe in the God you were praying to? Five intelligible words. He goes on in verse 20, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Now, in regard to evil, be infants. He kind of like covers his tail there. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Oh man, something's happening. Something's going on. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Remember to build up and edify. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I don't know, and I don't really want to know, but someday I will know when I meet Jesus face to face, how many inquirers or unbelievers that we call first time visitors or people far from God came into a large gathering or a small gathering. And we were using language that they didn't understand. And they were like, you are out of your mind. Deuces. All because we lost our witness to the inquirer or the unbeliever because we were thinking about ourselves. We were thinking about how do I build up my own life? How do I edify myself? Look at verse 24. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. If you are an inquirer or you are an unbeliever, you are a first-time visitor, you are a guest, and you are here this morning, you are far from God, but you're curious enough to know a little bit more about him, you're invited to lay bare the secrets of your heart because God is really here. God's presence is really here. God's provision has been proved here. Can I get a witness to God's power here? God is really among the missional communities when they serve the poor. God is really among the discipleship communities when they unravel a lifetime of lies and lean into the truth of who God is and grow in faith. God is really here when you give yourself to the Lord in worshipfulness. We've seen God's presence and power proved over and over and over again. And I am so sorry 
if this church has ever used insider language to an outside world that doesn't understand insider language. The church is not a cozy club that we can rub shoulders with. The church is the plan A institution that brings Jesus into the world. May we understand our calling. May we understand our job description, our assignment. And if you don't know the Lord and you're here today, I want to introduce Jesus to you because you can put your trust in him. You can choose to follow him. And and look, you can't argue with a changed life. Like, look, I met Jesus and my life changed. I didn't have the power to change my own life, but when I did, my life changed. And if you follow Jesus, you had your life changed too. So I don't know what your life looks like right now. I don't know if you think it's like too late for you. Like, oh, but Luke, I'm, I'm at a stage in life where I got grandkids. Like, you ain't going to change this old dog with new tricks. There's no way. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not convinced. That just sounds like an excuse to me. It really does. Because my grandfather spent his entire life running from God. And on his deathbed, my dad visited him and he prayed a simple, humble prayer where my grandfather, whose life did not reflect Jesus and did not chase after the things of God, finally confessed in his last hours that Jesus was Lord. I hope to see him again in heaven and eternity one day. You don't have to wait until your last breath to put your trust in Jesus. Some of you are kicking the can down the road and being like, oh, I'll get to it someday. It's like, no, you, you won't get to it today. Like, why would you're just like, oh, I'm going to repair the brakes on my truck soon. No, you're not. It's going to sit in your driveway forever. You're never going to get to it. You keep thinking you're going to get to this whole Jesus thing. Get to it today. You don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. You're not even promised tomorrow. You might as well just put your trust in Christ today. What have you got to lose? You have everything to gain in Jesus. Some of you are just waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping that your life gets all cleaned up before you trust in Jesus and follow Jesus. And that's not how it works. If you're an inquirer and you're an unbeliever, man, I hope that you meet Jesus. It's the best. He loves you. Oh, he loves you so much. You please him. He takes delight in you and in your sin. There's a separation between you and God. And so to cry out to him and confess what's keeping you away from him, the barrier in your life It's keeping you distant from him. He's offering himself freely to you without charge. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to pay your way. The the kingdom of God is not pay to play at all. You simply have nothing that you can pay anyhow. You can just trust in Jesus. What's the big idea here? The big idea is that whether we gather in large numbers like this or smaller numbers, an edifying, clear Quality means of ministry is what inquirers and unbelievers need to feel, see, and hear Jesus. Paul reveals the chaos, the entertainment, the fighting. He reveals all of these things to the church in Corinth and calls them out and says, once these things are corrected... Once these means of, 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 
of gimmickry are replaced with means of grace, you'll begin to impact the city that your church resides in. May we be a people who edify each other by building each other up with clear, quality means of grace. When I said large numbers or smaller numbers, I'm not referring specifically to our Sunday morning corporate gathering, although it certainly includes that. But I'm also meaning every other time we gather when we're scattered. This fall, we're going to blitz a program we call Rooted. And Rooted is a 10-week discipleship on-ramp to our church's community. And if you are looking to take a next step beyond Sunday in your discipleship journey, I want to invite you to prayerfully consider Rooted. We have a vision to have up to four locations for Rooted this fall. On the QR code in front of you, you can sign up for Rooted. You can express your interest. You're not marrying the program if you sign up. But then we have an idea of how many of you are ready to take that 10-week discipleship journey. Our discipling communities, that's a year-long process. Our missional communities, those serve the mission of Jesus outside the walls of the church. But our Rooted program is essentially an on-ramp of connection. It's an, an option for you to make new friends, grow in faith with Jesus, uh, break strongholds in, in your life. It all starts mid-October and it ends uh, just, before, just before Christmas. So right now we're working on discerning those four locations throughout the city. We would love to know if you are interested. Uh, you can find out more on the QR code in front of you. An edifying and clear and quality means of ministry requires that the local church shares what their local church is all about. And so if you're here for the first time today, and I know that some of you are, I want to share with you our mission. Our mission is to reach those far from God and disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. It says nothing about entertainment. It says nothing about preferences. We are not here to entertain you. We're not even here to meet your preferences. We want you to give yourself to the mission of Jesus and us together, the body made up of many parts, God uses to reach those far from God and disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. That is why we gather for those who are not here yet. That's our mission. Our vision is to add a thousand spirit-filled people to Indiana by 2030. And we emphasize the spirit-filled part. We don't want to add warm bodies. People can gather people all the time. We want to see people spiritually transformed from the inside out that they are breaking the patterns of sin in their life by the Spirit's power, that they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be living on mission day in and day out. We want a thousand Spirit-filled people by 2030. Our values, well, you can come to First Step. That's my little elevator pitch. If you want to know more about our values, it's the first Sunday of the month, which is October 1st. Please come out to First Step. Let me share this closing story with you, and then we'll worship together. I remember uh, when I was a kid, I grew up at this pretty large church uh, across town, on the other side of town. And this is way before I met Jesus. And I, I remember sitting like the second or third row, kind of where you guys are. And I remember sitting there and in every song, I just stood there and I tried to understand what was happening in the room. I was just a kid. I was just like, okay, the songs are being sung. Uh, this person, God, I guess. And we're here at church. My mom dragged me here. I'm wearing khakis that I hate and a polo that I hate. So, you know, I was just there. 
And I'll never forget the guy that was in the front row. And I don't, I don't know his name. At the time, he was probably pretty well-aged. He looked like he was in retirement. And I'll never forget every single Sunday, every single Sunday, this man was lost in worship. Hands in the air, sometimes on his knees. His whole body followed the rhythms of his heart. He found himself continually lost in the presence of Jesus. At the time, I didn't know what was happening. At the time, I was just like, is this guy, is someone calm this guy down? Like, why is this guy so pumped up? I mean, it's not even that great of a song. Like, what's happening right now? And I just sat there under the ministry of this man who just every Sunday just worshiped his guts out, worshiped his heart out, passionately lost in worship. When I think about building a culture of worship and building a culture of worshipfulness, I think about what was happening in the church in Corinth and how they really weren't at all desperate for the Holy Spirit. They were desperate for notoriety. They were so insecure that all they could do was whatever made them look better. Fighting, misusing the power entrusted to them, a whole, whole mess, whole mess. But what I saw in that man when I was a kid, I saw a man desperate for the presence of God. I saw a man longing for the water of Jesus. I saw a man hungry for the food of God's word. I saw and witnessed the ministry of someone who never spoke a word to me, but sung endless words to God and it impacted me so much. To this day, I want to kind of be like that guy. I don't even know his name, but so desperate for God. Building a culture of worship is building a culture of what I would call desperation. Building a culture of desperation. If you want to make sure that you never find yourself in the shoes of someone who is in the church plant of Corinth, infighting, doing things for the wrong reasons, misusing power. Call out on the God who changes people from the inside out because we are much more desperate for him than we are willing to acknowledge. And by God's means of grace, you too can be a person of desperation because it is only by the power and name of Jesus that anything in your life can change. That is only by the power and name of Jesus that your life will begin to reflect his life. I know that right now you're, you're apprehensive. Maybe there's some, some modeling of stoicism in your life. You were, you were raised in a church that was just statue-like. And look, that's okay. If that's how you worship, like, do that, do that. If that's how you reflect God's love, that, that's okay. You will never be shamed for that. It'll be encouraged. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person that wants to express their gratitude and adoration for Jesus. But you're withholding it. Because you're too scared about the, what the person to your right or left will think of you if you did. You're too, you're too nervous about expressing that love, expressing that gratitude expressing that desire, expressing that desperation. But building a culture of worship is building a culture of desperate people before Jesus. My question for you is how desperate are you? How desperate are you? Like one out of 10, are you just like a two? You're a 10. <laughs> I'm a 10. We're all a 10. We are all so needy, in need of Jesus. So I don't know what desperation looks like for you today. 
I don't know what desperation looks like for you tonight, but I can tell you right now that there's some of you that God is calling to begin stepping in a, in a direction of desperation. Jesus, there's, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a child, there's a mom, there's a dad, there's a teenager in this room right now that doesn't feel desperate. There's enough in their life going on right now that's good and beautiful. God, would you help them to reflect on how desperate they are for you? God, I pray that there is a culture of worshipfulness, a culture of desperation built by your spirit in this church. God, we need you more than ever as culture begins to slide into more and more darkness and more and more evil. We know that you've called the local church to bring about the message and of Jesus and modeling the practices of Jesus to a world that does not know him. I pray that we'd repent of entertainment. I pray that we'd repent of, of Christianese. God, I pray that we would repent of anything that the lost or the inquirer or the unbeliever would misconstrue. God, give us a new fresh resolve. Give us a, a new measure of grace, a new measure of the Holy Spirit to withstand this next season as we continue to, to march forward in your gospel's cause to be a church that the lost, that the unbeliever, that the inquirer uh, finds attractive because they see Jesus so clearly. God, we want many people that don't know you to say, God is really among you. And so Father, if that means that there's a whole slew of people in this room that get desperate before you, I pray that you'd give them the courage and power to be so. God, I know that I wanna be more desperate for you. Reveal to me my own desperation. Reveal to these people their own desperation because we are truly in need of you and we are truly grateful for you. And in God's perfect and powerful name, we desperately say, amen.